Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, this is Tanya Hathaway with Tanya Talks, where your voice is heard and your story is told. Good evening. This is Tanya Hathaway with Tanya, where your voice is heard and your story is told on Marty Oakley's TS Radio Network and Stephen Burke's 89.9 KLRB. FM Lighthouse Christian Radio out of Stewart, Oklahoma. It is Sunday evening, September 20th, 2020. And I don't know. Up here in the northeastern states, it's getting a little bit chillier, so it says coming up this uh, this week, some parts are going to be in the 20s at night anyways. Uh, but today was a beautiful day. Beautiful day. I spent it out on a baseball field a good part of, uh, good part of it. So that was fun. But now we're going to talk about some things that aren't necessarily quite as fun. Um, and we are... So happy to invite Ricky Williams, Ricky Oscar Williams, back on with us tonight. A uh, an audio has been shared um, from Thursday regarding the introduction of his story, which we'll review a little bit just in case you did not hear it. Um, and Ricky is, uh, we'll have him on a little bit. He is running just a tad bit late on the subway and, and, uh, not able to get good reception, but we have plenty of time. We've got two hours tonight and, uh, we will certainly be happy to carry this over to another night if need be. And we anticipate Ricky visiting with us bit, um, in the future anyways. Also with us tonight is Tina Gertz, uh, Tina and I both co-host Oklahomans Incarcerated True Stories and how they got there uh, together. We co-host that, and we just announced a, a merge of our of our interests, um, starting a nonprofit together. And uh, Tina, how are you tonight? And thank you for for being here uh, with this story uh, because you had connected with with Ricky and um, really got to know his story well. So how are you, and and, uh, thanks again for being here. I'm doing well, and thank you for having Ricky and I on. Okay. (laughs) But of course, but of course. Uh, Well, I'd like to say hi to my mom, who faithfully listens. And so, hi, Mom. How are you? We love you. I'm uh, wondering if you turned the heat on quite yet. <laughs> Anyways, add an extra blanket, Mom. Uh, neither myself, Marty Oakley, Stephen Burke, professionally or personally can be held liable for any error of content. That being said, our guests 
that we have on are well vetted. We welcome any comments, any concerns, uh, any correction of content that you feel should be made. Please email me at injusticeinoklahoma at gmail.com. Should there be a need for a, uh, a correction or a redaction or a clarification, I am very happy to do that, and you'll find I'll be the first one uh, that is willing to, to do that. It is a Christian radio station, so uh, although it, we are guided by the FCC anyways, uh, we will do uh, our due diligence and expressing ourselves in case we have any callers uh, coming on that, you know, understand the same frustrations as many and, and, and let it rip, let it slip. We, we can't let that happen, okay? Uh, we are going to be accepting callers the second hour of the show. And if you have a pen or pencil handy, in case you didn't see this in writing already, that number is 917-388-4520. And when the system picks up, you're going to press one, and our amazing producer and friend, Marty, will be sure to get you in queue. And I'll be listening for that doorbell for sure, because the doorbell will let me know that somebody is there waiting. That number one more time is 917-388-4520. I'll give you, uh, if everybody got here through the promotion uh, that was sent out, you have an idea what this show is about. Uh, But first I would like to share with you, and we'll recap that, by the way, I would like to share um, with our listeners, in case they don't already know, um, that there has been some justice served, and it's kind of bittersweet if you ask me, and I'll explain why. But Kendra Coleman, uh, Kendra Coleman has been a judge in her first term in Oklahoma City, a district judge. Uh, so she's uh, District 7, Office 9. On her first term as a district judge, she has been removed as a judge, but uh, that removal does not disqualify her from attempting to be a judge again. So I guess what it started out with certain complaints or, or with her, you know, uh, you know, not doing the things that she, she is supposed to do as a private citizen and as well as a public citizen as far as uh, paying her traffic tickets and different fines and, and whatnot, things like that. And then she failed to um, be transparent with her finance, uh, with her campaign uh, financing funds, and um, and then uh, apparently other charges were filed against her. Other complaints were filed against her. I guess uh, people that had been, you know, abused by her, be, given that it was the finding, right, uh, that had alleged that there was. Um, judicial abuse um, that uh, they struck while the iron was hot and uh, they went on to uh, file complaints uh, regarding uh, oppression. She used oppression, um, you know, her power as a judge um, in a, in a way that is malfeasant, denying due process. Um, And as well as essentially, you, you know, not filing the proper ethics, uh, she broke a bunch of uh, a bunch of cannons. 
Um, so it was, um, there was a jury panel of, and of six and five of those were actually judges. Five were judges. Um, Coleman herself denies that there's grounds for removal. All right. So, uh, for the most part, the majority had issued, um, six to three on some of these or on some of these, uh, findings. Uh, rulings, and then there was anonymous uh, findings as well in in regard to uh, oppression, clear and convincing evidence of of oppression. Uh, she was not found, however, unanimously. It was voted that she was not found guilty of gross neglect of duty. So I, I you know, I'm kind of interested in, in what the interpretations are for gross neglect of duty, but but there was grounds for removal. Um, the specific canons uh, that she violated are one, two, and four. Um, I'd love to get into that a little bit more, but I also want to make sure that we do leave time uh, for, for Ricky Oscar Williams. Uh, so the bitter, the, the sweet, that is the sweet part, okay, that we've got this Oklahoma City judge uh, who has actually been sanctioned, if you will, who's been sanctioned for denying constitutional rights, not to mention the canons, right? Okay, well, I'm sorry. I'll just say constitutional rights because that comes first. If you ask me, there's always constitutional grounds uh, regardless of of anything else uh, that is written that you can argue, all right? That's in my opinion. Again, I'm not a lawyer. But you have to if you if you argue your constitutional rights have been violated and you can prove your constitutional rights have been violated, I really don't care if it's in a canon or not. Do you? Okay. Um, so I, I I hope that people don't care if it's in a canon or not, or if it's in the rules, lives, the the guidelines and whatnot, uh, because the fact is that we're supposed to be treated with fairness and without oppression, and including that judge, including that judge. She has the right to appeal. She's got about eight more days if she's going to appeal that finding. So, okay, what's bitter about it? You know, it really ticks me off. You know, I came into all of this talking mostly about Tulsa District in Oklahoma, and there's a lot more to talk about in Tulsa District. But in the meantime, we've been talking about the, the far edges of Oklahoma, spanning from, uh, from the southwest, the southeast, to the, you know, bordering, Can- bordering Kansas, bordering uh, Texas, bordering, uh, you know, we're, and then the, the big cities. Now, forgive me. It's everywhere. Okay, we've been talking about issues just about everywhere. It doesn't mean every judge, every police officer, every prosecutor, every public defender, pretender, or that every uh, defense uh, attorney is going to do you wrong. Um, But let us know if they do you right, okay? How about that? Just let us know if they do you right. I'd really like to hear that. Tulsa District is known to be the star chamber. Look it up. In Oklahoma, star chamber, it's 
about as malfeasant as it goes. You know how it's just you've got you know it's the head of the snake. It's the head of the snake. And how lovely when I know as much as I know about Judge Rebecca Nightingale that she's the one who sat on the bench and relayed the ruling. I'm not saying she made the ruling, but she relayed the ruling um, and the findings. And yet, and then to hear that this is a win for judges across the state. I'm flabbergasted over it, absolutely flabbergasted over it, knowing that this is not anything like finding a needle in a haystack. You could pick up a stack of hay, and probably half of those pieces of straw deserve to be removed from their bench. I'm not exaggerating. I'm not exaggerating. And see, this is it. So, you know, you've got one of the worst, if not the most malfeasant courts, the one that's loaded with malfeasance, that made this ruling as if they are higher than thou and as if they are actually Setting the standard for dignity makes me sick. Makes me sick. So that being said, uh, it's worth uh, paying attention to this. And it would also would be worth it for those that have been abused and oppressed and your constitutional rights violated by a judge anywhere or if you feel that you have that it's actually worth it to look up this case, look up those canons, and yes, I'm a believer in, 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 in constitutional law, but these are the things that they're saying that this judge did and why she's being removed. can always be a citation, I suppose, okay, if you go that way. So in a sense, it could set a precedence. Uh, I don't know. Maybe this judge crossed the wrong people and this is really just retaliation even though is it really happening who 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 really knows who really knows i know that there are a lot of scapegoats out there for those that are pulling the strings that really are the ones that need to be sanctioned and removed and that as long as we have the foxes guarding the hen house This is going to continue happening, and this ruling, again, it's bittersweet. Look at it however you want, but it's really important to know that this is a shock that anybody got caught out. So I'm just curious why. That's all. I'm just curious why. Tina, what's your news today? I know that uh, before we move on to Ricky. Uh, Ricky Oscar Williams what is your news today because I know that there is a rally that you're putting on out there 
and uh, I'll be present in, you know, in my own virtual remote way, but let's talk about that for a moment or two. Yeah, we've got a rally planned at Jackie Brannon Correctional Center as well as OSP um, on Saturday from 11 to 2. We hope that everybody will come out to show support, um, even if they don't have a loved one in there, just to show support in general. Um, They do have a mask requirement there, so you have to wear your masks. Um, And this is all thanks to... I'm sorry, the name is escaping me. Reagan Akers. She did the research for it. Um, And, yeah, Saturday from 11 to 2, I'll have affidavits there if anybody wants to fill one out. Um, And I'm I'm excited about it, showing these guys that there's hope and people fighting for them. And and, um, speaking of the affidavits and the rallies, okay, so there were, uh, there were, were two rallies that were held consecutively, uh, two weekends in a row. Uh, that wasn't mm-hmm. one that you had put on, uh, but mm-hmm. it was one that you certainly did attend and engage in um, on behalf of our mission, of course. And uh, so, and that was at Eddie Warrior Correctional Facility, where uh, there were uh, about 60 to 70% of the inmates, uh, I'm going by my memory right now, uh, in, uh, who had tested positively for the uh, coronavirus. And then suddenly after, you know, uh, having a couple shows on this and after the second rally, uh, 400 of them just magically didn't test positive again. So um, I am putting together a FOIA request for that, redacting the names of the inmates to try to find out uh, who really was tested positive uh, in in the beginning, and uh, when they suddenly did not positive. So without asking that they redact the names, we would be violating the HIPAA violation. So that is going to be the way around it. Uh, just find out. You know, I'm so sick and tired of just having to believe what what you're being told or that being the information that you get as if it's what you are supposed to believe. And we all know that during these rallies uh, and, and that we've had a lot of inside information given to us and shared photographs of horrific conditions, testimony from the, uh, some of the inmates themselves and much testimony and heart-wrenching tears from loved ones on the on the outside that are sharing the information that's being being given to them, uh, and that it's just absolutely inhumane conditions in many many circumstances that existed long before COVID did. It's just the Pandora's box that you know that snuck it open, and now this box is pretty wide open. Okay, this has been a long time coming. So striking while the iron is hot. So then. Then the Department of Corrections comes out with an advertisement, and that's really all it is. It's an advertisement. It's a sales job. It's a con job showing how amazing the facilities are, these happy workers 
with like a food as if you, you know you were going to Applebee's being served. Give it a break. Give it a break. It was a total mockery of the truth. Complete exactly. and total mockery. So um again, um these these things are, are, are being addressed. We can't, you know, spill all the beans right now. But it's but it's a joke. But it's a joke. And that's all it is, is a sales job. Uh, because there was enough buzz in the air that needed, they needed to spend all that money to throw that together, right? Mm-hmm. And then, of course, we've, yep. So the affidavits. Tina, do you want to talk a little bit about the affidavits? And, um, and uh, the, you brought them up. <laughs> the affidavits. Do you want me to? Okay. Um, I th- I'll start, and then you can fill in the gaps. Um, okay. the, the affidavits are the loved ones, us on the outside, filling out and telling what we know is happening in there, how their rights are being violated, that they're being abused. Um, the living conditions are disgusting with black mold and maggots and roaches. Um, So it's basically filing for your loved one, giving us the information. And and the affidavit is, the the purpose is not, the purpose is not, and if you are interested in an affidavit, please email Tina at okincarcerated at yahoo.com. Or myself at uh, at um, injustice in Oklahoma at gmail dot com. Bettina's address again is okincarcerated at yahoo dot com. So the purpose of the affidavit is not to uh, just say, hey, you, you know, uh, the food's the food's not warm enough or anything like that. Purpose of the affidavit is to bring is to shed light on the inhumane conditions. Okay, where their actual prisoners, inmates, do not have all the same constitutional rights as we do on the outside, but they still do have rights. And there is a standard. There is a standard for the conditions. Okay, and that also includes not being raped by corrections officers. Okay, includes mm-hmm. that. It, it includes not being uh, uh, not being threatened by guards. It also includes a guard uh, coming up to you right into your face, like within an inch or two of your face, not wearing a mask, taking his mask off and screaming at you and threatening you. So those little spit little thingies, whatever you mm-hmm. believe or don't believe about how things pass. Okay. But listen, we're not in a real good, uh, healthy environment to begin with, but, um, but that is a violation of humane conditions. So when something like that is relayed, okay, those are the things that go into the affidavit. And in the state of Oklahoma, to my best knowledge and belief, under the pain and penalty of perjury by law. So those is a, it's not just to complain. It's not, you know, like a rating on a restaurant. It's not a rating on a prison. It is where your civil rights violations are, 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 are taking place as a person who is incarcerated, all right? So that is the purpose of the affidavits. 
Now, I've been collecting affidavits for a few years now, okay? Just so happens right now that this wave is for this purpose, okay? And there's a reason behind all this, all right? So, so it's important that if this is something that you have experienced firsthand, um, that should you choose to engage in this movement, uh, that you fill it out, that you contact us and you fill it out. You can even fill it out and say, hold, do not submit when we're going to submit unless I get permission. So at least you know it's in our hands. And then you, can, you get to say whether to pull the trigger on that or not at the time that we do drop ship them where they're going. <laughs> Actually, we'll be there. Um, so that's the purpose of the affidavits. Okay. Also, uh, there's another tool that has been put out for loved ones, and they will move on. We'll move on from here. Thank you for your patience. Another tool that has been put out for the loved ones is Chart It. Named it Chart It. That you log every little and big interaction with your loved one that's incarcerated. You log it. Every time you call, you know, another thing that goes on the affidavit, if, it's, if it is pertinent, if it applies to you, is if your loved one is denied medical care. Mm-hmm. I know some that have been denied their insulin. We know somebody who's had broken bones and, and been denied. We, you know, all kinds of crazy things. You know, uh, heart issues being denied. Uh, you know, of course, they're they're not going to take you and give you medical care after they just beat the dickens out of you, are they, if they're the ones that did it? All right? Okay. So uh, this is very important that um, that you chart every correspondence with your loved one, even when it goes well. All right? Because what is it that, a, that an attorney tells you to do? What is it? Uh, that you you know you need to have a chart. You need to log. You need to log things depending on what it is. You need to log things. That w- that does a lot better than memory. That is what you know. And obviously, you are going to swear that that is that that chart is accurate to the best of your knowledge and ability and all that stuff. Should you ever need it, okay? And that's the thing. That in itself is a real heartburn to what do I do my loved one is being abused if I do something does that put that person at risk even more and that's one question that I'm posing to Ricky Oscar Williams when he comes on I'm going to ask him what's the best advice that you can give your loved ones on the outside when they know that these certain things are happening? That's a loaded question. That's a loaded question. But how helpless do you feel when you've got a loved one and you know this is going on? What's happening behind the scenes? What kind of retaliation is there? These are all things that I think are important and we have the wonderful opportunity to kind of get some answers. There might not be one straight answer. I kind of 
doubt that there is. It's going to depend on the situation. All right, but we also know that Ricky Williams did file a 1983 lawsuit, right? Uh, so United States, uh, uh, yeah, uh, a federal lawsuit. So um, we're going to get more into that. I'm going to just check and see how, how Ricky is doing. Um, he sent something to me. It looks like he's going to be about another 15, 20 minutes. So we're going to get into a recap of his, of his story in case you didn't hear it last week. Now, Tina, do you want to start or do you want me to? I'm, I'm happy to, but if you'd like to. No, go ahead. Okay. <laughs> I'll try then if I, if I need to say anything. Okay, it was September 1979, and Ricky was age 20. He uh, he admits that he was in a bad place in life, drugs, alcohol, and he had this really bad habit of putting his hands on things that didn't belong to him. He was charged for the very first time and found guilty on nonviolent offenses. For burglary. He was not armed, that means, okay? He was not armed. He was sentenced to 24 years in prison. He started at Lexington. He said that was a culture shock. Well, I think that going to prison for your first time is going to be a culture shock no matter what. And then he moved mm-hmm. on to, it's it's a bit of, Tina, why don't you explain um this this cycle and why people get transferred why don't you explain some of that like what leads a person to go from one facility to another and mind you in Oklahoma that you have both the private and the public uh, prisons well everybody starts out at Lexington assessment and reception center and then from there they get transferred to the prison that they're going to be at and reasons for transfers could be going down in security. Um, you can be transferred for retaliation. Reasons. Can you explain what going down in facility in security means? It would mean from a medium to a minimum, or from a maximum to a medium security. So is that based on good behavior, or is it based on the amount of time? And if you're getting closer to release. It's based on both. I mean, you have to have the good behavior to be transferred down, but there's also an amount, a certain amount of time. You you can't go to a minimum if you still have 20 years left. Mm-hmm. It's based on how much time you have left on your sentence. Okay. Okay. All right, so... Uh, and then, and then, when you are close to being released, you uh, is Lexington one of the uh, facilities that you would go back to? Uh, Lexington does have a minimum security as well as a medium security. Okay. okay. So yeah, it's possible you'll be transferred back to the minimum side. Okay. So then he went on to Dick Connors. He was he was. Um, brought to Dick Connors, uh, where he said, well, that was another uh, culture shock where there were fightings, stabbings, and killings. 
Mm-hmm. Just witness this. Fighting, stabbing, and, ki- and killing. And uh, he said that him and his friend were in the yard, and uh, they found one of the, fi- the former highway patrolmen that was stabbed and, uh, and in a bad, bad way. And they took him, him and his buddy took the, the man, and they dragged him into medical into medical facility uh, at, at uh, Dick Connors. And, uh, and th- he said, and that's where some problems began and uh well the reason for the problems were that other inmates had said you should have just left let him be stay there and die you should have just let him stay there and die at that point there were approximately as he put it uh seven percent african americans in the prison compared to him so there was a huge racial disparity and a lot of attention of uh, this highway patrolman was a white highway patrolman so there was so as you can imagine what i saw when he shared this information with us uh, is that you know white people hung out together and the black people hung out together then okay all right now keep in mind he's been out uh, i think it's seven years now is that right tina yes uh, he's been out seven years now Okay, so we're going back, you know, about 20, you know, just under 20 years. Uh, um, Still, uh, it's just um, that divide inside a prison can only just absolutely cause for more tension. I don't think there's as much of a divide now uh, based on our talk with them, but other people might have their own feelings. Okay, so that caused all kinds of problems there. And then um, some of the guys, so, so that caused tension, and, uh, and then they're trying to, uh, you know, basically make him work his way, back, his way back into the club again or something, I guess. And so uh, he said that the guys, there were some guys that were trying to coerce him into sex. And he said he knew that he made a decision at that point whether he was going to keep his integrity or if he's going to have to result in uh, integrity or um, or just go along with it. So he decided to uh, keep his integrity, which resulted in violence. So he, he made it seem as though he was preparing for that session to get back in good graces or just to be a rag doll. And he had a shower and cleaned things up, invited them in. And, uh, well, he set the record straight at that point that he wasn't going to be compliant. Uh, He set the record straight. And um, that sent him straight to the Oklahoma State Reformatory. All right. There was an instance where he was sexually assaulted uh, one time after that, which we're going to get into farther. Uh, uh, but it sent him to the Oklahoma State Reformatory, uh, where, and I believe this is where our friend Vince Wilmoth, who spoke at the uh, at our rally, Tina, uh, mm-hmm. he went at, during some of the time. 
and uh and he he won his case ultimately uh but um Oklahoma State Reformatory we're the guards bet on fights there's an actual boxing ring this is entertainment folks this is exactly what Vince had shared and I've been in touch with him to get him back on with us again very soon so um yeah and and the way that Ricky chose to handle it when somebody challenged him was uh he had put some pepper in his hand and when he got in the boxing ring he would blow pepper in the guy's eye from his hand into the guy's eye so it kind of eased the tension there it got him out of that fight guy would wind up conceding um so it's kind of interesting the way ricky or the way ricky thinks and and um you know, he stood up for his integrity and his manliness, uh, and he wouldn't get involved in being somebody's rag doll in the sexual acts, and uh, and yet he was not um, interested in being aggressive in the boxing ring unless he had to be. Uh, so then uh, he uh, was selected um, out of a, a small group of people that were allowed to go to church eventually, and he was started going to church, and then he was allowed to use the law library. Um, and when he was using the law library, he uh, said it that he was assumed to be a black Muslim. Uh, and because he was a smart black man or something, I don't quite understand, and I'd like to hear more of that reasoning why he was assumed to be a black Muslim because he was using the law library. So I'm looking forward to asking for more clarification on that as I went back and I listened to the, the broadcast again. Uh, just, you know, we're all, we all brains use them and it shouldn't, there shouldn't be any assumptions on what we are just because we are using them. Uh, he was working on his own case. He was working on his own case to lower his sentence as a first offender. But at that point, they had put him on some very, very strong anti-psychotic drugs. And um, and he had some people that uh, he actually praised on the show uh, last week that actually helped him out and just taught him that if you know how to read, and you have this information here that you can fight your case. And um, he started to be known as a legal eagle, as the legal eagle uh, in in the prison. And he, if he said he said if he wasn't eating, if you didn't see him in the mess hall, it's because he was in the library. Ultimately. He filed a 1983 complaint, as I said. We're going to talk more about that. Uh, he had a very strong mother who I, I believe was a huge motivator uh, for him, huge motivator for him. But a lot of the discussion that we plan to have, as soon as we can get him on also, is about he, he said that he wants people to understand what happens emotionally mentally to you, the PTSD, model legal abuse. So he was found guilty on, um, of course, a burglary, and he, he doesn't deny that. 
but he was also uh, railroaded into um, a charge against him uh, for uh, uh, sexual uh, assault against a minor and, and, and kidnapping. So I really want Ricky to be able to share that story with you himself um, because this is just a horrendous situation. And, and when you find that there are prosecutors and investigators that are more worried about their record and being put back in office and, and, and making the public feel safe when they're not, but just feel safe when the real perpetrator is still out there, an innocent man from that charge, from those charges, that they just decide to pin it on, cross it off their list. See, this is where we have some issues because oftentimes exculpatory evidence is not allowed in these courts. Well, it's allowed, but it's oppressed. Remember, you're supposed to be taken off the bench for those crimes if you're a judge, right? In all of these cases that we have been discussing and we've been had our, our guests on, brought in their loved ones that are wrongfully convicted. These are the things that are happening and with the same players in the case of many of these Lawton, Comanche County wrongful convictions. I was going to see if uh, Ricky's back on. How reliable is Ricky? Tina, <laughs> have you heard from him? I've had no problem. I haven't heard from him right now. I can text him. Yep, yep. I'm going to open up. I don't know if we're going to have people with too many calls right now, but I'm going to open up the air the airwaves for calls. Uh, it's, in the meantime, there's a lot that we can talk about, but I really want to kind of stay on track here. Uh, but I'd like to I'd like to open up the airways nine one seven three eight eight four five two zero nine one seven three eight eight four five two zero if anybody is interested in uh, asking a question or has a comment nine one eight nine one seven three eight eight four five two zero boy. I, I tell you what, I'm usually not at a loss for words, and I'm really not. Uh, but I, I would like to, <clears throat> pardon me, hear from others on this. Okay. How fast can we get those fingers moving? <laughs> Stephen Burke, are you live with about, Oh, there you go. I don't know. Marty, is Stephen Burke live with us? Yes. Hold on. I'd love to hear from Stephen Burke. Okay, he's on with you. Hello? He's on, Tanya. He's live. 
Okay. Hi, Stephen Burke. How are you? Stephen Burke, uh, for everybody who's listening, is uh, the producer and runs the uh, Lighthouse Christian radio station in Oklahoma. So uh, he's the one who is airing these shows uh, for for some time with us now and um, and really appreciate it. I know that you've ministered to many in, in prison and um, – and I'm kind of curious, Stephen, what your um, take is on if you have any insight to anything that we talked about so far. Well, okay, I'll be more direct. Uh, how about the judge, the judge that was removed from the bench? What are your feelings on that? Oh. Okay, so he's he's live, but he probably doesn't know it. Well, how about you, yeah. Marty? How about? <laughs> <laughs> well, I've been list- been listening to this, and what gets me is is what this judge did. The violations should have her disbarred, and prevented her from ever sitting on a bench again. But it didn't. She could yeah. simply go to a different district. She can simply can you know run again, get her name put on the ballot. That's nothing. This is the problem with self-policing. It doesn't work. Mm-hmm. And the only reason, mm-hmm. like law enforcement or the bar association or the judicial councils, want self-policing is so they can make sure none of their cronies get in any trouble. And mm-hmm. when they talk about 99% of all judicial complaints every year are dismissed by these private entities um, who are all sitting judges, gee, what could go wrong? And some of these these violations are serious, serious. And I was watching, commenting on that article about that judge, and the thing is, as someone pointed out, that on any given day, judges break laws to such an extent that if we, out in the public did anything remotely similar to it, we'd be in prison. But these people just Mm -hmm. move to another position or they get a sanction or they get their wrist slapped and nothing happens. This is why we need citizen councils that bypass Mm -hmm. this um, self-protection racket. We need them to review. And I've heard it from judges, Tanya. Well, you know, you don't know anything about the law, so that's not going to work. And my response to that is, Obviously, after what you've done, neither do you. I couldn't do any worse <laughs> than you. And right. um, but but you see my point. We need citizen interaction with this and a voice from citizens, so that they can't just summarily dismiss this stuff, whitewash it, slide it around, and put somebody somewhere else. I also saw the comparison to them doing this to the Catholic Church and moving priests around. Um, no mm-hmm. penalty. We just move them somewhere else so mm-hmm. they can start over again. And what we're seeing is that when they do this, they pick right up where they left off, and they continue it's, to violate yeah. rights. Go ahead. And well, you've heard us have uh, Melissa Hari, who is an expert in this area as well, uh, regarding conviction integrity unit. Uh, and, and that's uh, and that is, I would say, that's synonymous with. What you're just talking about now, you know the same yes. the same thing. Yep. 
And I think um, something else I'm going to say here, Tanya, I think with these prosecutors who fabricate cases and charges and evidence and do everything they can to get the convictions because the only way they get their job back is if they have a 100% conviction rate. So, you know, it always leaves you wondering just how many people are in prison that never should have been there. And no, I it, think it, when, it, it came out when of the these West people are... When we started with, uh, mm-hmm. with, with uh, yes. Lott and Comanche County, as you know, and, and there's more that are waiting uh, to come back on. We just got a little sidetracked on um, regarding the the COVID and all the prisons, yeah. you know, and the conditions and whatnot. But yeah, it's um, it's it's you can only begin to imagine. Uh, it's it's uh, and the same and complaints with pretty much the same kinds of actions. The same people, you know, on the same people, the same actors, over and over and over again, and uh, and they're and, and and they're still there, and they're still there. So, and this is why, this is why we are collecting the affidavits because, you know, when you have enough, when you have enough, then, when you think it's enough then it's like, how can you just keep turning these people away? And also, something very interesting about a lawyer is, you know, how the Bar Association says, oh, it's not the jurisdiction. Well, I was, I was on the phone with uh, Gina Henderson, who's basically head of the, head of the bar in, in Oklahoma City a, a while ago, about a year and a half ago. And I'm like, you know something, I've gotten told, you know, I've seen so many of your replies uh, to people that say it's not the jurisdiction, and I laid out a few of them, and I called her out on every single one of them. How is that not the jurisdiction? Well, it's not the jurisdiction. I said, well, according to this, that, and the other thing, it is your jurisdiction. So people cannot just take a denial as a denial. You know what I mean? It doesn't mean that it really isn't the jurisdiction because that's the, that is their number one reply. You know, that's their number one reply. Uh, did I just hear a doorbell? You did, and it's Mr. Bean. Arthur Bean. Arthur Bean. Arthur Bean is with Deborah Hansen, uh law firm, attorney of law, and he is a private investigator, a researcher extraordinaire, and actually has um, put an injunction, a petition for an injunct- injunction in front of the high court uh, Arthur, why don't you uh, just, you know, lay out rather than me uh, who you are, and I'd love to hear your two cents on this. Uh, and and I do have, um, uh, I'm looking at some messages that are being sent to me. There are people that don't want to call, um, but Arthur, can you just let our audience know, our listeners know, uh, who you are and and where we're at right now with this particular GPS situation. Something's oh, going on here. On. He's live. All right. Come on. I think I hit a Okay. Hey. How you doing, stranger? Sorry I didn't call you back. <laughs> Are you in a bad area? Wait, wait. Okay. I'll tell you what, Tanya. We'll leave him live. 
And when he gets to where he can, um, um, he just dropped. He's apparently going to try to call back. Okay, so good. All right, that's fine. Please call back, definitely. Um, So there's a situation right now where there's a facility. It's a a Lexington facility, okay, that Tina was talking about, that we were talking about. Um, And they are... um, uh, they're introducing a uh, GPS bracelet as a as a pilot program, pilot program uh, for the inmates to be wearing these GPS bracelets. And it is they're saying that it is to uh, to detect contraband. Well, I did a whole bunch of research on this on this company, and it's been uh, acquired and uh, by you know it's 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 got a bit of a history. So you have to kind of track track it down, um, the the history of it. So it's changed names a couple of times and whatnot. But in any event, um, yes, uh, there there are cell phones. They're trying to detect the cell phones. All right. Um, the the prices of the phone calls have gone down. The inmates they've gone down. Okay. So somehow, this is my take on it. So somehow they've got to get that money back, right? So if, if the inmates are calling on cell phones that they're not supposed to have anyways, okay, uh, then they're going to go try to get those that that money back. So instead of calling on the cell phones, then they're going to call on the on the, what the means that they're supposed to call on, and at least the volume difference should make up the losses, right? Well, you know what? That might be true. That might be true, but there's some other things going on here too. How do you think those phones get in there to begin with? Let's talk about that. How do you think those phones get in there to begin with? More often than not, it's from the guards. Right. It's from the guards. But now why is it the Department of Corrections is so concerned about those cell phones, even though they're not supposed to have them, because guess what we're doing, folks? We're making huge, huge waves. We're making huge waves. They want to monitor everything. Okay, they're supposed to be able to monitor everything, but they're not supposed to oppress the rights of an inmate. And the inmates whose lives are threatened and they're abused because their calls to their loved ones are overheard telling the truth about the complaint, about the, about the inhumane conditions, it's, it's, it's horrendous. People are being denied the ability to do work on their own defense. Your life is threatened. You're beat up. You're sexually assaulted. And... Who can you tell? Listen, people might be in there for a reason. A lot of them aren't. Or they're trumped up charges. Some of them aren't, I'll say. Or they're trumped up charges. Um, but the punishment is not to be treated in a less than humane way in accordance to the constitutional right of prisoner. So that is not included in that punishment. So they're trying to shut up and snuff out 
the truth of the abuses and the oppression of the civil liberties of the inmates. That's something else that is going on. But not only that, in research of this particular device, because it's Securus, I believe, it's uh, Securus, and it was now it's cell detect. Or yeah, cell detect. Yeah, just there's a, def- a bunch of different acqui- uh, acquisitions. Okay, have taken place. I mean, seriously, I, I probably spent about an hour, not a ton of time, but about, about an hour uh, researching this, and I, w- I wanted to get back on it. Uh, but these GPS bracelets will not only detect the cell that is, you know, that it might mate might have that, you know. He, he got from a guard. <laughs> okay. But not only that, but they are also known, and there was a complaint lodged by the ACLU, you're also known to actually track and detect you on the outside. Who they're talking to on the outside. As far as whether they can tell what they're saying, I'm not 100% sure. But this is a huge concern. Protecting somebody on the outside that's getting information that they don't want you to have because, God forbid, you should share it on the phones that they're allowed to listen in on. They're beat up. What kind of a system is this? Well, even in visits, they'll have to wear them in visits. Anything we talk about at a visit will be heard. Anything you talk about in a visit. Mm-hmm. Well, and here's another thing. In the Tulsa World article, it said it costs $500 a year to lease the equipment. So if you multiply that by how many inmates we have right now, it's over $7 million a year that's going to be spent on this. Oh, oh, believe me. The, oh, the money, the, this, this is about the money. This is all about the money. They will get their money back. Uh, they're not doing it. If it they're, they're, this is about the money. This is about the, the state of Oklahoma, Department of Corrections, the money. And distributing the money. So you know, we know that in private, the private prisons, okay, in the private prisons, we understand that you know Mary Fallon, you know the ex-governor, that she was vested in the private prisons, okay. We we know that. Well, private prisons are also shutting down, okay. I think a couple of them in Oklahoma already. So these people need to make money somehow, don't? So uh, it's I'd be hard pressed to believe that this isn't another method of insider information and uh and becoming and and vesting themselves in in this as well. Um I'm going to leave this anonymous. Um I was on the phone with my husband today in the middle of him telling me about how there's a huge outbreak, covid outbreak at William S. Keys they came and handcuffed him and took him to lock up he told me they're still waiting on a lot of results in this unit. They have welded cages 
I actually got this a couple of days ago. Welded cage, uh, cages. Actually welded cages around all of them and deemed it the COVID unit. Him and another 20 are still waiting for test results, but are welded into a unit with all the positive cases. They're being punished for telling their family about their health concerns. Um, here's another one. My son just called, said it's too hot to breathe. Upstairs, he has COVID. They were previously told they could go back downstairs. Several of them chose to go back downstairs where it's cooler since there's no air conditioning and are getting reduced to level one and getting a class X. You can clarify what that is, okay, in a minute. Guy, a guy he knows was telling his family member about it, and they took and they listened in and took him into a segregated unit. My son wanted to let me know what was going on in case he ends up going to a segregated unit as well and can't call for a while, taking phone privileges from those who are telling the details of what's going on here. Um, I mean, we have tons and tons and tons of these. Tina, can you explain what uh, you're right, reduced to level one and getting a class X? What is a class X? A class X is the worst write-up you can get. Um, it's, it's, I don't know how to explain it. It's the worst write-up you can get. They have a class A, which is like, hey, it's no big deal, but don't do it again. But a class X, it, causes a lot more problems for you that can put you in um they call it jail or shoe or the hole um and it stays on your record you know (laughs) can you appeal it not that it would go anywhere exactly you can appeal it but that opens you up to even more retaliation Okay. Um, and a level one is, there's four different levels. Level four is the highest and you have the most. Um, you can have longer hours of visits. You have more um, privileges. Level one mm-hmm. is the lowest. So you would have less of everything of your privileges. Okay. Uh, another one. Okay, so, you know, because he complained about the conditions, told the truth what's going on to a loved one, then he's just been totally basically blacklisted from life as you know it and any privileges um, in his facility. I talked mm-hmm. to my – this one is another one. I talked to my loved one earlier, and there was a lot of interference. Like every time he tried to talk about what's going on, it would start cutting in and out. Never happened before. Waiting on his call now. I hate what's happening to our men. It's another one. Um, uh, somebody just messaged me. Something else. Tina, do you have any that you can share? Oh, guess what? Right now... Um, Yes. 
Masonic conviction issue in temporary judges. Oh, okay. I've got the governor and uh, this is in change.org. The governor and other elective state officers, including the justices of the Supreme Court, shall be liable and subject to impeachment for the willful neglect of duty, corruption in office, habitual drunkenness, incompetency, or any offense involving moral turpitude committed while in office. So I would say that probably off of the uh, heels of this most recent. of this most recent finding, but also it involves a petition, this petition to the state representatives. Um, Let me see if this went to the state representatives as well. So, um, you know, uh, um, we'll, we'll post that. We'll post that on our pages and hopefully people can um, sign the petition if they agree with it. And certainly, share it um there's the time is actually of the essence to strike while the iron is hot i know tomorrow i'm going to spend a good deal of my time um uh on on the phone and with emails and uh and 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 other things Uh, i've dedicated the majority of my day to this tomorrow i wish i could every second of the day in, uh, in some ways i just Obviously, we all wish we could could clone each other um, ourselves. Um, Tina, do you have more? Let me see. I have not heard back from. Oh, Ricky. So let's. Uh, that's just fine. That's the case. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, and we also know that this is very hard for him too. He was extremely well composed yes. when we had him on, and and I'm going to. I mean, we have an awful lot to talk about, so I'm fine with this, uh, but I just wish we had him on. Uh, but I will encourage everybody to um, to look in the promo um, that was sent out um, and, you know, what that was shared. That that first uh, the first interview with him is, is on it, and you're just going to learn so much about this man, and you'll just want to learn more about it, and I'm not going to go ahead um, without him to continue sharing this. We'll just have him on uh, again. So I'm not, I'm not, I'm not all that worried about it. He's an amazing person that I believe um, has uh, a, a phenomenal voice for for the inmates, and he was absolutely willing to come out and name names. As he did in that first audio. You might want to listen. Uh, And we'll go over that again when he is on air with us. But um, he's not afraid. He said, if I could go through what I went through, if I could go through what I went through, what do I have to be afraid of now? Is what he said, pretty much. Isn't he amazing? Uh, Absolutely amazing. He did not wind up getting a reduced sentence. He uh, he he went through his 24 years. He did not get a reduced sentence. So um, let's see. Let's take a look at some of our other shares, things that people have shared. Again, the number is 917-388-4520. Press the number one. Press the number one. 
if you have a question or comment or want to share. And and I'll tell you, I'll be quite candid about it uh, right now, is that um, I think that a lot of people came out and they talked for um, those couple of shows loud and clear, and I believe that there's retaliation, as we've heard um, from some others here going on, and people are afraid to talk now. People are quieting up a little bit uh, because we had pretty packed platform <laughs> uh, of, of callers uh, to, to share the stories. And, um, and again, it's, it's a very personal choice what to do, what not to do. Um, it's understood that the guards, uh, corrections officers, uh, have threatened um, at the um, at the Lexington facility if they don't wear these GPSs, uh, these devices, that they will be removed from that facility. And pretty much that's known to be one of the better facilities. So this went in front of the high court as Arthur Bean, and uh, there's another gentleman as well uh, with the Deborah Hansen attorney at law firm. Uh, if they uh, petitioned for an emergency injunction on this happening. Well, th- the judge, the justice, forgive me, ordered the state to reply. The state Several days later, contacted the firm and asked for a conference. The result of the conference is an affidavit that states that wearing those bracelets are voluntary. It's on a voluntary basis. It's laughable. It's laughable. Um, it's laughable. So I'm just curious. So what happens? You, you know, if they say no, well, we already know that they've been threatened. You can't take that away regardless of what somebody swears to under the pain and penalty of perjury, okay? Because... Um, we already know that they've been threatened. Mm-hmm. It's been alleged on several occasions that these threats have been there, stating that if you don't wear these bracelets, that you're going to be punished. Mm-hmm. And so what happens when actually do wear the bracelets? I mean, there's people... I know this, you know this, that in in, in these facilities, in, in these prisons, people are making a living working on their phone. Inmates mm-hmm. are making a living. If, if people, quote-unquote, choose to get them, uh, other inmates, will retaliate against them. They're threatening to be stabbed. 
So the the inmates are between a rock and a hard place. Like there's no win. Nothing they can do to keep it even keel. And here's some other things that can go wrong with this. The the guards bring in their personal cell phones and use them while they're working. So it could alert that the inmate is by a cell phone or using a cell phone, even though it's not them, it's the guard, because it it covers a 10-foot radius. So even if you're not using one, you can get in trouble. You can get a Class X write-up. You can get transferred and and not even be involved in any way, shape, or form of a cell phone. That's a huge problem. Another thing that can happen, these inmates work. They have jobs in there. Now, if, whether they're bracelets or ankle monitors, I'm not 100% sure because there's conflicting reports about that. But yeah, it's a wristband. They're wristbands. That's what I was told. Um, Wait, it's in the affidavit. Tulsa World. I'm about ready to read the affidavit. Okay. Tulsa World called it an ankle monitor. But these people working, if it gets caught in a piece of equipment that they're working on, they could get injured. There's some things you do that you shouldn't be wearing any kind of jewelry. Mm -hmm. Um, Another issue is that they're being told if they tamper with it, they'll get a class X write-up, the worst write-up possible. Well, if these people are working and hit it against (laughs) something while they're working and damages the equipment, they get a write-up, even if it wasn't on purpose. So there are so many things that can go wrong with these wristbands, this test that uh, it's just not right. I mean, people are going to get hurt. People are going to get retaliated against no matter what they do. They could lose their life. They could lose their life. Yeah. That's what we're hearing. Okay. So here's Mark. This is an affidavit as a result of the good work of the, Deborah Hanson, attorney at law firm, uh, and the answer essentially to the emergency injunction order to stop this bracelet from being mandated. Okay, I, Mike Carpenter of Lawful Age, da da da, swears da da da. I am the chief of operations for the Department of Corrections. Two, in my role as chief of operations, I have been involved with the pilot project for cell phone detection wristband three the use of cell phones by inmates has been linked to coordinated attacks on prison officials and other inmates as well as other illegal operations including controlled substance distribution oh boy we'll come back to this for you know what i'm talking about cell phone usage by inmates and is the single greatest security issue for doc 
Five, DOC has opted into a cooperative pilot program with Cell Detect to text a system that may address prisons' contraband mobile phone epidemic. So let me read that again. DOC has opted into a cooperative pilot program with Cell Detect. So test to a system to test to a system that may address prisons' contraband mobile phone epidemic. Doesn't sound convincing to me. Okay, uh, six. The temporary testing will last approximately five weeks and is only being implemented at Lexington Correctional Center. Seven. The testing will utilize inmate volunteers and is scheduled to begin October 1st, 2028. The test will be used to determine the viability of an inmate wearing a wristband that is designed to detect cell phone use in the immediate vicinity and send a signal identifying the inmate and the specific time of the cellular the cellular phone was used and then he signs off on it is notarized okay so the test will be used to determine it doesn't say the test will be used only to determine does it no it's just giving something that it will be used for mm-hmm. it doesn't say that it won't be used to detect who the person's talking to does it Oh, no, no. I mean, uh, the testing will utilize inmate volunteers. That's a joke. Um, let's talk about this. Okay, this uh, other illegal operations, including controlled substance distribution. Well, how do we think controlled substance distribution gets in, just like the cell phones, to begin with? Well, Ricky said it the other night. Mm-hmm. Guards go in, take the contraband, put it in their storage or the, wherever they put it, and then they'll go back and take half of it out and tell somebody to distribute it for them. We've had people on the show just very recently that said that what she put up with in order to see her husband or her loved one, as far as the manner that she was patted down, that was pretty Mm -hmm. much a sexual assault to begin with. Okay? So if Mm -hmm. um, these pat-downs are so darn thorough, really, how is the contraband getting in there exactly? Exactly. So maybe some of these corrections officers that are letting this happen just belong, you know, they should be a Sally. Mm-hmm. Okay? They should be a Sally. Okay. And, and the fact that the Department of Corrections overlooks this is, I'm trying to think of a word to use for it. I, 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 I it's, yeah, it's. I'm trying to think of a word to use for it. It's unbelievable no. that they think that 
I mean, they have to realize what's really happening. And until they deal with their own house, so to speak, then nothing else is going to fall into place. Right. They they need to deal with their own first. And I don't mean that in a disrespectful way by any means, because I've met some wonderful guards. I really have. Um, But I know there's some that (laughs) show up to work high, show up to work and get high. Um, So until... Until they clean their own house, I don't think they should be putting the inmates' lives in any more danger than they already do. Um, yeah, it's not it's not just about the inmates either. It's about their loved ones. Yeah. I my, you know my husband's in prison. I've never been to jail. I've never been arrested. But they, they, by Go ahead. putting our loved ones in these positions, it is mentally draining. It's depressing. It's horrifying. It's not just what they're doing to them. If everybody says, oh, well, they're in prison, they get what they deserve. What about me? I didn't do anything wrong. Right. It affects more. It affects their families, their kids. Ricky, he's got severe PTSD from his time on the inside. What are these daddies going to do when they come home and don't know how to deal with what they've seen and been through from the abuse by DOC? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's perpetuating the situation. It's not, they call themselves Department of Corrections. It's just a joke. It's a joke. Mm-hmm. Um, so what kind of circumstances, um, being somebody who has a husband, uh, you know, that's in there, uh, what do you expect the level of care should be? And what do you think, think is fair? Did. What is civil to you? You know, forget what think, they forget what the Constitution says. Forget all that. I think they all should be able to get medical attention when they need it. I think they should be able to get food on a regular schedule. It doesn't have to be steak and potatoes, but there's no, no maggots and no no feces and food saved served no. from the same. Um, from the same, uh, 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 what do you call it, where um, there was no sterilization in between because people mm-hmm. were pooping in, in paper bags and it was mm-hmm. being put on that, th- right? Um, right. Yeah. I think there's black mold everywhere in there that causes breathing and respiratory problems. Add COVID to that, that's going to be much, much worse to breathe in. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the roofs have leaks, you know, causing puddles in the cells. I mean, these are just basic, basic needs. Don't give them the ritz. I realize that. I'm not delusional. 
Mm-hmm. They just have basic needs, and they're paying their price. They should not be abused by a system that on their webpage says it's to keep the inmates safe. That's poppycock. It's baloney. Right. All they do right. is we know tear that. them down worse. Well, again, they came out with that advertisement. And, and you know what else they came they came out with, uh, by the way, which I think is awesome. Um, uh, again, it was shared about the issue with um, a, a loved one on the outside not knowing whether her husband, who uh, had to have a quadruple, well, I'm not going to say it, had to have um, a, a, an emergency surgery, a life-threatening mm-hmm. surgery. Um, that as far as I know, and it was a week ago, she didn't know if he's dead or alive. Yep. Uh, I talked to the Department of Corrections medical facility uh, twice, two days in a row, uh, who said they had, they would have the head of surgery call me the following day or later that day, and uh, um, somebody else uh, both times never heard a word back. I wasn't trying to get information on the man. I wouldn't give the man's name. They wanted to get the man's name. I wasn't going to give it uh, mm-hmm. because why would they ask me for it? They're not going to tell me. That's a HIPAA violation. Right. They wouldn't tell me anyways. They want to know who's complaining. Exactly. They want to know who's complaining. I said all I want to know is what I can tell this woman she needs to do to find out if her husband is dead or alive. Mm-hmm. All right, so in any event, I asked if there was any kind of a form that was filled out. You know, I said, I imagine you'd have to have and, and 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 people have told me that their loved ones didn't even get a form to fill out, but you have the right for, to, to find out if, you know, the condition of their loved ones. Right? Mm-hmm. Well, it's my understanding that there's at least one facility that is handing out those forms now. Yeah. Um, so that, that's a good thing. More than one. I'm sorry? More than one facility. Okay. Okay. So they are handing them out. So, so that's good. So there can be some good things that happen as a result of this. Uh, but it should never come to that, should it? No. So, so, um, also, there's a grievance form, a simple grievance form that an inmate can ask for. Now, God forbid you ask for it, right? Mhm. But if it an inmate does fill it out, mm-hmm. there's retaliation. Yeah. There's retaliation. There's well, one time I emailed the medical director when this whole COVID thing started, and I just asked a couple of questions on behalf of, like, everybody, not just for me. And um, the very next day, they shook down my husband's cell. And when they do that, um, they break things, they throw things on the floor, um so you know when you when you email one day and the very next day that happens, 
you know they're retaliating. It happens all the time. This is what happens. This is what happens. This is a cause for a class action. Um, this is what happens. Okay, so let me see. Somebody just wrote. Uh, I don't want to let anything out that I shouldn't be letting out. So um, it's uh, it's an understanding that people have to pay for their own COVID test now. Uh, well, anytime when you're in prison, anytime you go to the doctor, you have to pay to go to the doctor and you also have to pay for your medicine. So like people think they get free health care. That's not true. And generally speaking, it's not a doctor. It's a nurse that you see. My relative hasn't spoken on any sexual allegations, but he does say that the food is definitely subpar and typically undercooked. The real problem is that Lexington Correction Facility has the highest commissary prices around. 65 cents for one Roman noodles soup. Wow. Actually, that's a lot because Roman noodles is what, the you know, college kids, you know, used to live on. I don't think it's like that nowadays, but um, you can buy those in bulk. And Okay, the inmates have no choice but to spend their the money their family sends them at this monopoly. They do not get outside recreation time, no sunlight. National standards are one hour a day, five days a week, but I'm told they have been out maybe five times a year. Mm-hmm. They also, do you think that's at the medium one, Tina? Probably the medium, yes. Okay, because uh, at the at the at the less secure, yeah, secured facility, um, you know they're getting out more than that, right? They have been getting out more than that, yes. Okay, they also they also recently renamed it Lexington Correct L C R F, and the R is for rehabilitation, but it's not accurate. <laughs> There is no college or programs, no AA, NA, and very little encouragement for families to be a part of the process. I'm very informed. It may not be as egregious as the original post above seems, but it is bad and easily could be made more humane. Okay, so it's important. It really is important to get all these takes. On things, you, you know, I mean, there's different units um, and whatnot, but it's really important to keep hearing from people. We've heard an awful lot of consistencies. Uh, let me see, what else? There's a basically. Oh, my husband is serving a life sentence, and my sister is at Eddie Warriors and currently has COVID. Oh, it's got to be hard. Okay. What were you going to say? I'm sorry. Basically, whatever is happening at one prison, you can cookie cutter it 
and it's happening at at most of them to certain degrees. Mm-hmm. It's all the same things happening, and you can see that by by what you're being sent. It's it's the same thing, just different places, different players. Uh huh. It is. It absolutely it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, let me see. Oh boy, I've got a bunch. Um, let me see. I just have to be really careful because I need to make sure that they remain anonymous. Right. Uh, I was told by somebody today that a loved one didn't get lunch until 6 o'clock at night. I didn't ask what time they got breakfast, but that's really late, you know? Right. Right. No, yeah, we heard that that happened a few times. And, you know, the, the whole thing with, you know, being maxed out, that's a whole other story. We understand COVID is unprecedented and whatnot. But when this has been made in the, at the, where it has been made, an excuse for, um, you know, being understaffed, okay, to a degree, okay, to a degree, being understaffed. Uh, all right, but not to that much of a degree because, you know, the place isn't moldy because you're understaffed, all right? Um, inmates aren't getting raped because you're understaffed. Inmates aren't getting threatened because you're understaffed. Inmates mm-hmm. don't have maggots in their food because they're understaffed because that's nothing new where it happens. Um mm-hmm. uh, Inmates living in these very subpar inhumane uh, conditions has not been because of COVID. Plain and simple. Mm-hmm. It has not been because of that. So It's been way before COVID. Way before COVID. Way before COVID. I'm going to take a peek and see if I've heard from our buddy. Nope. Maybe he missed his stop and have to go the whole way around it. <laughs> so we will just have to definitely just reschedule him. Um, we'll just have to reschedule him uh, again. So that's fine. Um, I am just working on looking at these other, let me see. Okay. Uh Okay, so who is aware of this, all right? Comanche County Detention Center, and this was yesterday, I believe it was, uh, transferred female prisoners to the intake facility yesterday, and that must be Lexington, right? My son is afraid he'll be transferred to Lexington next week. Thought. Well, I had I had brought up that I think Lexington was a good option. Um, I don't know about the meeting side. I don't know what it's like there. You don't know what it's like in Lexington? The medium side. Oh, it's a medium. Okay. All right. So then I asked, uh, let me see. 
Um, okay, let me see. Uh, they used two vans to transfer the women. She said, I read the post about so many women being sick. No closures. The law and men are all negative, but they are starting to bring men back from jails where they were mm-hmm. sent due to overcrowding. Governors did, made them reduce the numbers. They have a long history of being at 50% or more over capacity. Okay, so that's another violation, by the way, of, mm-hmm. um, of an inmate's uh, a constitutional right, some, uh, all right, is the overcrowding. Um, there is a, uh, a, a cap on that. Uh, more money. My son only has half of his, I'm not going to say this because I, I, I wouldn't want to give it away. Anyways, there's somebody in the, uh, who is very uh, immune deficient. We'll just put it that way. Infection could be deadly for him. All right, so she's scared to death. For her son, all right. But right. listen to listen to this. There's an appeal that's in place, right? The attorneys have been working on an appeal for over six months to get the court records transcribed. Mm-hmm. Guess what? Still waiting. I paid over a thousand dollars. I don't think that that's an excuse that. Uh, COVID can be used for that excuse. What's going on? Here, I can only think, um, you know, is the attorney just not doing it because they can get away with not doing it? Or is this just an attorney that's taking the money because they can? Uh, because we know that happens. Or is it um, somehow, yeah. is it going to show up or not show up because it's missing? What is the reason why it takes six months to get I've heard, court records? I've heard. Sorry. No, you I've heard ahead. cases where it takes uh, a couple of years. And I, oh, I don't boy. necessarily think it's the attorneys. Um, they have to get it from the court. So it's the court that's, take, that's taking so long. All right, but that's not swift justice. So I mean, no. uh, I can't, I can't speak onto that. But it's um, my understanding that that is way out of the the realm of uh, the time frame that they're supposed to be able to actually get that. I right. I know that I've spent pl- plenty of money on transcripts, and that's one thing I will say is I got them timely um, when I when I paid for them uh, before. Um, let me see. So that's okay. interesting. And not, oh, by the way, and I'm not saying those transcripts actually depicted the recording that I had. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Oh, my goodness. Um, I've got a message somebody just sent me. Okay. She says, so I think we need to come up with something for the families of inmates who have never been down this road and don't know what to expect and the things they need to make sure is done, such as medical forms, phone systems, how to send money, what can be yeah. sent to inmates, etc. I know yep. I'm still learning a lot of things and who to talk to about what, and I was so overwhelmed 
frustrated and lost at the beginning on top of the accepting this is now part of my life. So what do you ladies think and suggest? Well, I, I think that's a great question, and I think that it's pretty much up the alley of, of, of what we've been, um, you know, bringing to, to the table, but um, formalizing that into a, an electronic folder and being shared, um, you, you know, digitally. I should say, mm-hmm. and being shared, I think would be great. Like the chart, um, right. you know, uh, an affidavit on hand. Um, okay. So that's two things right right there. Um, also the medical forms and, um, yeah, the chart, the logging. Uh, so what do you think, Tina? Do you think that's something that we can work on together and, and make it um, like a formal digital? We can get that together. Um, every prison is a little bit different about what you can send the inmates, but we can certainly, I can pin that um, information in Oklahomans incarcerated, true stories behind bars and how they got there. And then everybody can access it and share it. Yeah. And if anybody has any suggestions on that as well, what should be put into that? Um, folder, uh, I think that that would be um, a good place to make those suggestions is, is, is right there um, on, on that page. Um, and also, if anybody would like to call in and say and, and let us know what they learned, uh, we've got about 15 minutes left, a little bit more than that. What they learned um, is the best way uh, to help, you know, manage what can seem like the most unmanageable aspect of life uh, with with a loved one um, in, inside the walls of um, of, um, of of a prison, and uh, even worse is uh, up against the abuses where they are taking place and the, the horrific uh, inhumane circumstances and conditions there. <laughs> so. Um, Let's see. That's a great question. I really like that question, and, and I'm Me sorry um, to to the to the um, the asker of that question. I'm so sorry that um, this has entered into your life. And I think that you're going to find that there's an awful lot of support um, out there, and um, and it probably you, you know wouldn't hurt to just you know you can you can let people know how you're feeling. You know, you you need to be uplifted. Let people know how you're feeling uh, when you um, going going through this. I think that there's an awful lot that will uh, jump in and uh, and be there to help empower you and uplift you. So I think that's a really good question. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's a, that's a really good question. So. Definitely uh, hard to get through without support. And yeah, yeah. So the the chart, the chart that I, I put together, um, and I'm almost done with uh, having it put in in the PDF form. I just kind of made it into something that would uh, just stand out. It is, it is a PDF form, um, but I'm going to uh, make it a bigger page. 
is uh, the date, obviously. Who's the one who had contact with your loved one? Is it you or is it your, you know, your husband, your brother, whoever it is? Um, You know, the event. The event can be, is it an in-person visit? Is it a is it a, a phone call? Uh, was it a um, did you call the warden on behalf of your loved one? Right, uh, that kind of thing. All right. So uh, the uh, also any details? You know, did your loved one um, uh, say that they were sick and they're waiting for medical? State the symptoms. Be as specific as you possibly can. Um, did they let you know that they were not followed up with by medical? Um, did your loved one witness something, some abuse? Were they abused? Um, or did somebody actually do something right? Did medical, you know, take care of them? You put everything in there, just not what's bad. You put everything in there. Otherwise, it's not a consistent log, Okay. And then the follow-up reference. Uh, so, yeah, it's a pretty decent chart that just will get refined a little bit more. Um, and and we'll, we'll, that'll be part of that, of that folder. So, uh, but those are different ideas. If anybody has another idea of another column, something else that can be put in there, um, then, then let us know that too. Um, gee. What can you think of the things that your husband needed but you didn't know at first that you now know? Um, I honestly can't answer that. I didn't know him when he first went in. Um, like I didn't know they needed money for the doctor. Um, I didn't know that, um, if they want, I mean, they can get some basics, uh, like soap and things like that, but they have to wait. If they use it all, they have to wait till it's handed out again. They don't necessarily get what they need to get through. So they need money for that if they want to buy more soap or shampoo or toilet paper. Um, those, I guess that's the biggest things that surprised me. Mm-hmm. And so what's and, the income that an inmate actually makes if they're working? Well, it depends on the job. Some make absolutely nothing. Um, my husband, even though he's been working the whole time, he's been in prison. Uh, he's never had a paying job. So I couldn't even answer that. He's never had a paying job there. No. Right. But he has, but he's been fortunate in the, in the, uh, and also took advantage of different programs where they actually were available that he has been able to uh, further his education and uh, put himself in a position of being a moneymaker and a productive member of society when he comes out. Is that correct? He he has um, gotten a college degree that his 
parents paid for. His parents paid for him to go to college. Um, and he's got an electrical license and will soon be going for his unlimited journeyman license. Um, but like the licenses we have to pay for, um, and, and like the yearly fees we pay for. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, he he definitely takes and advantage of that's standard. Of that's standard. It's just, mm-hmm. okay. okay. Right. So to keep the license well, well, going, but they you have got to do him the- doing work as you know they use these guys for to do the jobs they're trained for. Right. So. Should we pay for them to do the work, or should they pay until they get out? Oh, that's a it's, great point <laughs> regarding the fees. This is a continuing it's, education credit that need to be <laughs> right. Wow, so that's a great point. So, but my husband, he's he's taught. Um, oh, what did he teach? Right now, he's teaching HVAC. He's taught machining at a different prison. Um, I mean, he's he's taken opportunities when he can mm-hmm. to to better himself and to stay busy because too much time on his hands would make him go crazy. Honestly, right. So, so yeah, he stays busy. He's actually working two jobs right now. Maintenance and teaching HVAC. Okay. Okay. Well, but paid good for zero dollars. But paid zero dollars. Well, um, yeah. I, I mean, I don't know what to say about that. You know, I, I don't know what to say about that. You know, in a sense, part of me feels as though. It's okay if it offsets the cost to the taxpayers, okay? Right. Right. But then I also know that your husband is doesn't belong in there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. So, right. So he's wrongfully convicted, and um, so that that you know, so that's what these are things that are real. Stick it to you, you know. I, I don't mind somebody working and offsetting um, the, the the taxpayers' dollars. I, I really, I really don't. Uh, you know, um, I mean, part of the sentence, uh, as long as it's not um, in humane circumstances. Uh, you know, some people might not agree with me. Well, then maybe fifty-fifty. Right, so they have something when they come out, right? But anybody mm-hmm. who does get paid anything, apparently, it's you know, the, the, you know, eaten up in the commissary, anyways. Um, for uh, no pun intended. Um, yeah, yeah, I, I, I don't see anything. I personally don't see, and nobody has to agree with me, of course. But I personally don't see anything wrong with you know somebody paying their their price to society for something they they did wrong and offsetting a taxpayer's dollars um, by paying by doing some work that needs to be done um, you know uh, but um, 
I just really wonder where's all the money going. That's the thing. Uh, the the lack of transparency, the outright uh, lies to the public, and the advertisements is selling falsehoods because we've made waves because people heard other people crying and telling their stories because there's actual evidence and documents there's you know real live stuff going on that they can't deny and so that advertisement comes out and people that might have just gotten a little bit of an earful and they maybe we're going to look at it a little later. Oh, okay. Suddenly that thought is dispelled because this advertisement came out by the Department mm-hmm. of Corrections. Well, we have to make sure that's not really the case. Um, let me see. One day ago, my son is sick and he feels like the flu. His second day, he said everyone's getting sick. My son is diabetic, taking insulin. Please pray for our loved ones. Prayer. A lot of requests for prayers. Somebody else says, call the warden and tell him you're concerned for your son. Also ask about the administrative parole for those with pre-existing conditions that make him a higher risk of COVID. God will make a way. I mean, that's, that's you know, there's some good advice there, uh, depending mm-hmm. on where you are. Uh, the the warden could just wind up making sure that um, uh, your loved one tells you to stop calling and bothering. I've heard that a lot. I've heard that a lot. Mm-hmm. A number of people have said that um, that their loved their loved ones in, inside have been told to tell the loved ones outside to stop calling and bothering. Um, and, and that's that's what I mean. That's my question. That's that's a key question that I have for Ricky. Um, besides, you know, the fact of the things that we do plan on sharing and him sharing with us. Um, yeah. So again, logging the calls, logging the calls. What else? Keep track of everything. It, not just for calls, but any interactions at all with anybody in DOC emails. Um, if you write your legislators, keep track of those. It, leave a paper trail. I'll leave. And ship it on over to us because this trail typically does not work if it's you against them, but it's my genuine belief that it will work when it's us against Mm -hmm. them. You're not alone. And, you know, it's interesting because you find out once, you know, if you've gone through something that people are like, this is unbelievable. No, it can't happen. No way. There's more to the story. Sometimes you hear that. It's 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 more of the it's more of the story, uh, you know. It couldn't be like that. That's illegal, and you know, it's like, well, guess what? <laughs> guess what? That really is what happened. No, it's not legal. You're right, but 
this is really what happened. Um, and when they find out the truth, then it changes things if people are willing to actually um, pay attention. Right. Um, somebody just asked how to make this power of attorney form where everybody can open it so they can print it. I just sent it to Oklahoma's incarcerated uh, and it's not opening to the forms. Okay. We'll take, we'll take care of that. If you're listening now, we'll take care of that. It's the, it should be opening. Um, okay. We'll take care of that. And that's regarding the affidavits. Right, I think um, it was called the uh, power of attorney form. Um, why don't you send it to me and I'll see what I can do with it, uh, if you're listening. Um, send it to me and I'll see what I can do with it because I, I actually I think it might be power of attorney for the medical uh, forms now that I really think about it. All right, so this has turned out to be more of a what to do if or, or, or when or if you have a loved one uh, kind of a show today. Uh, but I appreciate the listeners that have stuck with us tonight and knowing that they were expecting to hear back from Ricky Oscar Williams. And, uh, you know, I'm not going to be upset with him. I appreciate everything that he shared with us already. And I'm just, and I'll pray that he will be able to come back on with us again. We can never underestimate, can never underestimate what it takes, and I'm not trying to assume anything at all, but what it takes to talk about this stuff. He is severely, as Tina said, impacted with PTSD. And um, and maybe that's one of the reasons why he's not on with us tonight. He just couldn't get through it tonight, and that's fine. I respect, accept, and... Um, that and he has every reason to be validated and and cared about uh, if that's the case and maybe if he's just stuck on a subway then you know uh, then then I'm sure we'll hear from him um, about that as well but what I'd like to do is uh, again thank everybody for being with us for these two hours thank you for the messages that you are sending us thank you for your continued love support, understanding, and uh, interest. And we'd also like to ask you for your advocacy. We'd like to ask you for your advocacy. If you are in Oklahoma, or even if you're not in Oklahoma, and if you can offer any kind of support to this grassroots nonprofit that Tina and I are in the process of putting together, we've been doing it without it being a nonprofit. So our work isn't going to change other than there's just going to be more. Um, but if you can, uh, if you are uh, very good with technology, uh, if you're very good, if you have documentary equipment, um, if you can help us put that book together, um, uh, editing and, and whatnot, it's actually mostly not in need of edits. But we're looking for volunteers. Uh, if you can help at a rally, if you can offer a space for a town hall meeting, uh, if you can, I think you get the gist. I want to thank everybody tonight for tuning in, and I'm, I'm going to thank Ricky Oscar Williams 
to Tina Gertz. Thank you so much for co-hosting with me tonight. I'm Tanya Hathaway. Tanya talks. Your voice is heard and your story is told. Please tune back in Tuesday evening at the same time, 7 p.m. Thank you very much, TS Radio Network and 89.9 KLRB-FM. God bless. And good night. And good night, Mom. Love you.